if you don't get a deal and someone else gets it under contract, make sure you follow up with that broker because those deals fall out all the time. And if you're the one that talks to that broker the day the deal falls apart, you've got the best shot of getting back in there and getting that deal. I can't tell you how many times that happens. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, you know it, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. Okay, so this month I'm giving away an acquisitions manager spreadsheet that lays out the stages in the acquisitions process and will help you track all the deals you have in your pipeline. The spreadsheet also contains information about the brokerage firms my company Blue Lake sources deals from. So with the spreadsheet, I'm also adding the acquisitions process guide to walk you through the different internal acquisition steps. So use both documents for better results. You can customize the Excel spreadsheet, but it's a great template to use in the acquisition process. That's the same one that I'm using myself. You can find the documents at www.elliepearlman.com resources. So our guest today is Rod Khalif. Rod immigrated to the U.S. when he was only six years old, and after struggling to get by, wearing clothes from the Goodwill and eating expired food because that's all they could afford, when he was 18, he decided that real estate would be his solution for a better life. So since then, Rod has personally owned and managed over 2,000 homes and apartment buildings. He is the host of Lifetime Cashflow through Real Estate Investing Podcast and the author of How to Create Lifetime Cashflow Through Multifamily Properties. Rod began purchasing single-family homes early in his career and now has completely focuses on multifamily properties, and that's we're going to talk to him about it. So aside of his career as a real estate investor, Rod is also very passionate about community service to underprivileged children with the Tiny Hands Foundation and firmly believes in goal-setting, envisioning, and manifesting success. So I'm really, really honored to have Rod here on the show today. Hey, Rod, how are you? Hey, it's such a treat to be on your show, Ellie, and we're going to have a lot of fun today. I'm super excited to hopefully add some value to your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. You're investing in multifamily properties. Can you tell me and the listeners, how, how did you find yourself involved in multifamily? Well, that's a painful story, actually. You know, I, you, you started to talk about my bio a little bit. I, like you said, I immigrated when I was six years old. We didn't have a lot of money. Got into real estate when I was 18. You know, ended up buying 2,000 houses. My, I got into real estate because my mom bought the house across the street from us when I was 14 for about 30,000. 
And when I was about to graduate from high school, she made told me she'd gone up in value twenty thousand dollars. And when she didn't do anything, I'm like, "What? I'm getting it." She did, you know, it went up twenty thousand in her sleep. I said, "I'm getting into real estate." So, you know, like I say, fast forward to today, I've owned two thousand properties. Heck, we've bought another thousand doors in the last uh, six months. But in two thousand six, my net worth went up seventeen million dollars while I slept. Okay, a little more than my mom's twenty thousand. But there's a punchline, and that's that. This is the answer to your question. In two thousand eight, I lost everything. I lost fifty million dollars. I lost that seventeen million and a whole lot more. And the reason it happened was I was I was in a lot of single family houses, and it was unmanageable. I had eight hundred houses from two hours north to two hours south, and everywhere in between. And as a result of that, because of the logistics of that, I crashed and burned in 2008. And I can get into some detail there if you like. But what was interesting is as things were failing and I was really kind of going down the tubes, my multifamily did just fine. And I had some apartment complexes and they were doing just fine. And if I hadn't cross-collateralized those with packages of houses, I'd still have them today. And so, you know, that's the reason I started my podcast to share my message, you know, for investors, if they're going to buy and hold to ideally consider multifamily. I think for a whole lot of reasons, which I'm happy to dig into with you, Ellie, because, you know, they, they scale faster, they're, they're safer as evidenced by what happened to me. And so, you know, it's just an asset class that I love and I teach, I teach people how to buy and because I'm just passionate about it. So yeah, why don't we get a little bit, you know, deeper there? What is it that you mm-hmm. like about, you know, one or two things that you like the most about investing in in multifamily properties? Sure, sure. Well, again, back to my example when I was when I was crashing and burning and lost fifty million dollars. I call it a seminar, by the way, because it's only a failure if you don't get back up or you don't learn. And and I, you know, I'm, I'm back to success. I'm blessed again. But the point is, what I like about it and what I discovered was from a scalability standpoint. Again, I bought 2,000 houses that I rented out long-term. It's painful to even think about. And, you know, from individual owners, and I had to fix them up and finance them and all these other things. And, and it would have been so much easier to buy, you know, five or 10 uh, 200-unit apartment complexes. It would have been a fraction of the work, and I'd still own them today. In fact, we'd probably be doing this and I'd be doing this in the back of my yacht today if I hadn't done that, if I'd have done that instead. So, you know, they're, they're easier to manage. They're logistically easier. For example, back in 2008, if I, I had a house an hour north of me, if I had to send a maintenance guy there, you know, if I sent them to my apartment complex, we could stockpile parts. So if they go there, we'd have, you know, washer, washers for the plumbing. We'd have appliance parts, all these things because everything's the same. So they could get in and out in an hour. But if they had to go an hour to one of my houses, everything was different there. So they'd have to go see what was wrong, go find a Home Depot or a Lowe's and to buy parts. That could be another hour. And then if you've ever fixed anything, you get into it and you realize you forgot something. You got to go back, you know, to Home Depot or a Lowe's. And what would take an hour at an apartment complex took all day at a house. And you multiply that times 800 and it's just not manageable. Now, if you've got all your houses in a tight geographic area, yeah, you can make it work, but I'd still recommend against it because you just have so much more scale and safety. And the last thing is, is multifamily is a team sport. So if you don't have a lot of credit or you don't have a lot of income, you can put a team together to buy the property. You can put it, you know, you can bring in someone that's got the the liquidity that the bank is going to look for, you know, in a, you know, they'll typically look for 10% of the loan amount. You can have somebody that's got the net worth that the bank will look for, the lending institution will look for, which is typically equal to the loan amount. You know, you can have someone put up the at-risk capital for a piece of the deal, meaning the earnest money, 
the due diligence costs, the third party reports that the bank will require. And, and so, you know, you can bring in one person to do all of that or, or one for each component and they each get a little piece of the deal and you could orchestrate the thing find the deal, manage it, to be involved in the asset management, help raise the equity, or you can have people help you with that as long as they're active in the deal. And that's another big plus with multifamily. But the biggest is in residential multifamily, two to four units, the value is based on comparable sales. So there's not a lot you can do to really ramp it. But in commercial multifamily, five plus doors, the value is based on a multiple of the net income called the NOI, the net operating income. And any increase to that net income is an exponential increase to the value. Let me give you an example. We've got a deal in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana that we bought. And I would not normally buy in that market, but this deal was too good to pass up. I'll give you some quick deal facts. Uh, the seller paid 20 million 10 years ago. Okay. We bought it three or four months ago for 16 and a half. Okay. So that's, that's a pretty good swing there. But the reason being is it was 70% occupied. Now, when we saw the, the, the property next door was 100% occupied, we're like, hey, so we know it's not the area. And then we saw the property and we're like, okay, it's obvious. It was horribly managed. I mean, train wreck, head scratching, stupid management. So, all we have to do without even raising the rents is get the occupancy from 70 to 90% and we've increased the value about eight or nine million bucks. Okay. That's insane. Because, it, you know, it's, it's an increase in the NOI. I'll give you another example. We've got a deal in Beaver Creek, Ohio, 101 unit apartment complex, which tragically got destroyed by a tornado a few months ago. Thank God nobody died and, and, and no children got hurt, but all 100 families had to move, 101 families. But in this property, we are able to ramp the rents $500, okay? So, to give you an idea, and that's directly to the bottom line because there's really no increase in expenses for that. So, if you take 500 times 101 times 12, that's a $606,000 increase in the NOI. To give you an idea of the impact of that, at a six cap, that's a $10 million increase in value, okay? That's why we love this business, my friend. Oh, okay? yeah. So that, that's why I love it too. Yeah. So, the, the thing in multifamily is we look for value-add opportunities where we can make some improvements and ramp the rent or decrease the expenses, which, you know, go right to the bottom line and increase the value and, what, and do what's called forcing appreciation. Very exciting. I totally agree. And this is, you can't really do that with single family homes. And even if you no. could, it would have taken you you know, years to do that. So obviously, I mean, we share the same passion about multifamily and I think you summarize it really beautifully. And I think looking at all those advantages of working and buying multifamily properties, that gets a lot of people excited. A lot of people understand that. And there's kind of a rush to buy as many properties as you can. And you talked about in other, you know, interviews about the irrational exuberance of where we are right yes. now. It's, it's a very, yes. very... It's a slippery slope and it's a very it's a dangerous, dangerous place, place right now. Exactly. Dangerous place we're in. And and I recognize it because it was 06. You know, when my net worth went up $17 million in 06, it was the same stuff that's going on right now. And, you know, there are operators, for example, that didn't go through that crash. You know, I on my podcast, you know, I, I interview experts like you do as well. And and you know, it's almost, it's, it's kind of uncanny. If they've got 1,000 to 3,000 doors, most of them started in 09, 10, and 11. That's what we call a clue, my friends, okay? <laughs> and so, you know, and so they've not gone through a crash. And like, I'll listen to a presentation from an operator 
When I say operator, I mean someone that's putting the deal together, the syndicator, the GP or the KP that's putting the deal together and they'll do a presentation and I'll ask the question, what did you do to stress test the deal? And it's crickets. <laughs> and, and to think that we are not going to have some financial impact by a contraction is naive. I could say stupid because it really is kind of stupid. So you've got to look at a deal and do some what ifs. What happens if the occupancy goes down? Like in 2008, I think national average, the most you'd see was around 15% in an occupancy decrease. You know, what happens if the rents go down? Now, rents don't typically go down, just as an aside. But you know what we'll do to stress test the deal, and this is going to sound extreme, but if that property doesn't, won't break even at 25% vacant the day when we buy it, we won't do it. And if it won't break even at 30% in about five years, we won't do it. So, you know, that's one stress test. Another thing that we do is we raise or put in big operating reserves, okay? So, for example, that Louisiana deal, we've got a million dollars sitting in the bank as a case the stuff hits the fan fund, okay? A rainy day fund, okay? And, and the Dallas deal that we did, uh, half a million dollars. And, and we're very, very conservative. For like that Dallas deal, we're at a 65% loan to value. Still got great returns to our investors, but, but that's a very conservative loan. And so, you know, and there's operators out there getting these bridge loans at 80 plus, you know, percent. And, and I'm telling you, you know, they may not go under. They could. They could very well go under when, when the market hiccups. But at the very least, their investors are not going to get the returns that were promised. And so, you're seeing a lot of that. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, we write probably 10 LOIs a week, okay? And and sometimes we're scratching, and by the way, LOI for your listeners is a letter of intent, which starts the conversation with a seller. You know, if you're going to buy the place, you have an attorney write the contract and never do a contract on your own. Always have an attorney write it. You know, I've done, again, 2,000, 3,000 doors now, more than that, actually. But, but the point is, I still always have a contract done by an attorney. And so, you don't want to spend the money on a contract with an attorney, so you use an LOI first. So, anyway... So we do these, we write these LOIs and then we're like astounded to see what some of these properties trade for. We're like, how did they make the numbers work? They just don't work. And so again, guys, be careful. If you're investing passively, you know, you need to learn this business well enough so you understand if, if, an, if the operator you're doing business with is clueless, frankly, make sure they're stress testing the deal. You know, make sure that they, you know, ideally they've, they, they understand what happens in a contraction and, you know, there's just ask the hard questions up front and, you know, and if you're out there acting as an operator, educate yourself for God's sakes, come see me at one of my boot camps or, you know, keep listening to Ellie's show here, listen to my show and, and get educated as much as you possibly can. So. Absolutely. I cannot agree more. And I see it all the time. You know, I lose deals almost every week to other sponsors that are overbidding and I'm, I'm looking at their numbers and I say they're, they either have, it's one of, of three, they either have no idea what they're doing or they're willing to do, they understand the risks and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get a deal, which is even worse, or they know something that I don't. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of the, two. exactly. It's, it's one of the, the first two. two. Yeah. And, 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 you know, maybe they're a REIT that has very low cost of funds, but that's really the anomaly. And that's typically in A-class properties, not in value add deals. And so this always happens. I've been through three of these market cycles and uh, contractions, and this always happens. And there's always people that get hurt. And it's the ones that are, that are, 
you know, going gangbusters right now and doing deals they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's such an important part of the strategy to be conservative, to stress test. Also, what happens if you can't get the raises that you want? I mean, obviously, I think you also touched on a very important point. When it comes to financing, you should be extremely careful because you can get a beautiful bridge loan right now and all the numbers are going to work. But I never took a bridge loan and I'm never, I don't want to say never, but I, I do not plan to do it. It's dangerous. Good for you because they, they are very, and there are a lot of bridge lenders are going to take properties back. I tell you right now, because you have to meet certain occupancy requirements. You have to, you know, and on an ongoing basis. And, and if, and if you fall below some of these requirements that they have in these bridge debt instruments, you're going to, you know, they'll, they'll put you into fault. And that's another thing. Don't do short-term debt right now. Don't do five-year debt. Do at least seven to 10 years. There, you want to hear the definition of a bad day? Here's a bad day. You've got a cash-flowing asset that's beautiful, and it's thrown off cash flow. But because the cap rates have gone up, have gone up you can't get the value you need to refinance, and your debt is due. That's that you look in the dictionary under, uh, dictionary under bad day, and there you are right there in that one because that's a bad freaking day. And we saw it happen. So no short-term debt. Yeah. And, and I do the same. I always take, you know, if it's a five-year hold, I take 10 or seven-year, you know, long-term fixed rate because I want to know what I'm paying until until I'm, you know, planning right. to sell. And there's so many variables in the underwriting, you know, when you're analyzing a deal as is, you don't want to add the financing to it because you don't know what the interest rates are going to be in a year or two when you are going to have to refinance. Or, or, or the cap rates, or the yeah. cap rates either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are you going to get the values you need to do your your liquidation strategy of a refinance, for example, or a sale even? So, you know, it's playing with a loaded deck if you do this short-term three to five year debt right now, because if you're in the depth of the contraction. That's not good. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I want to move to our last part, talk about the process. And you mentioned earlier that you're submitting close to 10 LOIs every week, which means to me that you have... I might have exaggerated a little. It (laughs) might be five one week, could be 12 the next week, but but the The point is a bunch. Yes, a a lot of them. It's a lot more than most sponsors, you know, have out there. And that tells me that you have a very robust you know, pipeline of deals. So I want to talk about that side of the business, that process. How do you create that process? Sure. I teach this from stage as well. But, you know, I will tell you, we are in a relationship business, as you know, Ellie. And, you know, obviously brokers are the bell of the ball right now. And so I go to conferences. I was in San Diego not that long ago at the, at the I forgot NMHC. the acronym now. Yeah. Thank you. I, I uh, missed you, you there. Yeah, I was there. I was the only guy with no jacket on, truly. Out of the How did 5, I miss you? people there, I was the only <laughs> participant male that didn't have a jacket on. I, I wore my, my standard black V-neck t-shirt uniform. But anyway, no, but we met a broker there that, that sold us our Lexington asset that we just bought, 176 stores. So, so there's that, okay? But, but the key here, guys, if you're thinking of being an operator, is you value these relationships and you treat them like gold, number one. Number two, you put on your long game hat. This is not a short-term play. You do not try to great get that great deal and screw over your broker on one deal because that broker could send you a dozen deals over your lifetime. So, you know, you, you play long game. You treat people with respect. You ideally try to set yourself apart in some fashion. 
if you're just getting started, you need to align with a sponsor for sure. So you can use the we word and say, we own a thousand doors and use them on your team, you know, to make the deal happen. That's how everybody starts in this business. They align with a sponsor that's got some doors. So they've got some credibility when they're talking to the brokers. But, you know, if a broker sends you a deal, don't be a black hole. Respond and say, the deal didn't work because of this, this, and this, ideally with some specificity. So they know you're not a newbie, that you actually did an analysis and say, you know, this is how we came up with these numbers. When we normalize the expenses, this is the cash on cash return we got and we need this. So, you know, not likely we'll get it. But let me say something else. You know, at my events, I have a lot of big operators on stage. I have a big mastermind. I've got probably the largest multifamily mastermind on the planet now with $5 billion in assets. And I let my members come speak as panels on Saturday night at my events. And I usually have about a billion to two billion on stage represented, you know, by the assets on stage. And, and I hear this time and time again. And, and we have this happen ourselves. We get deals like this ourselves. If you don't get a deal and someone else gets it under contract, make sure you follow up with that broker because those deals fall out all the time. And if you're the one that talks to that broker the day the deal falls apart, you've got the best shot of getting back in there and getting that deal. I can't tell you how many times that happens. So just another strategy there. So brokers, obviously, they're the bell of the ball. Now, you can go to direct to seller too. I've got students that make outbound phone calls to owners. You know, you want to build relationships with owners, particularly the ones that are aging. Because, you know, one of my mastermind members, Glenn Gonzalez in Texas, started out as a maintenance man. Now he's got over, I don't know, four or 5,000 doors. 1,700 of those doors he got from one guy that he developed a relationship with 10 years ago and kept in touch Told, showed him the integrity that he had, and, and, and when the guy was ready to sell, sold him to him. So, if you go direct to seller, start building a database and a CRM of, of, of owners, just like a, a broker would do, and, and they say they're not interested in selling now, say, hey, well, you know, I'd love to get to know you anyway. You're obviously a rock star in the business, whatever. Add value to them if you can, and, and stay in touch because that's another great way. You know, if you're in the smaller properties, you can certainly do direct mail. We have students that, that kill it with direct mail and outbound calls for smaller properties, like, you know, five to 40 doors. But, but the key is the relationships. And, and I've got three people out, you know, doing an outbound. Now, I'm blessed also because I've, you know, my podcast, like I was telling you, I'm at six and a half million downloads. I'm in tens of thousands of ears every week. So, if I talk about one of our deals, obviously, the phone rings off the hook. And we also have tons of deals coming at us from students all over the country. So, you know, we're kind of blessed in that regard. So, you know, I can't say that it's all because of my efforts, maybe indirectly, but definitely not directly. But, you know, it's, it's broker relationships probably more than anything else. And, you know, let me mention a few other, uh, you know, strategies. One would be service providers, plumbers, electricians, painters, landscapers. Who knows when a guy's going to, somebody's going to sell a property, you know, chances are they're going to do some make ready painters. They're going to fix it up before they sell it. You know, pay them a finder's fee if they send you a deal. I've heard lots of people got deals like that. Probate attorneys, do relationships with probate attorneys. That works very well. Believe it or not, I've had people buy assets out of Craigslist. You know, there's a, you know, newspapers, you know, if you're, especially in smaller, you know, like, like five to 30 unit properties, if you're an 80 year old crusty old fart that doesn't want, like those slick brokers, I'm going to sell the property myself. I can do it myself. Where are you going to market it? Where, the only thing you know is newspaper, right? We found great deals in the newspaper and nobody looks there anymore. So, you know, just drive, driving around. I interviewed these kids 
that a coach that bought a 50 unit by driving around looking for rundown properties and then doing everything they could to find the owners. I mean, to the point, I think they found the owner for that one on Facebook. It was one of my first interviews. Uh, their names are escaping. Oh, Sterling and Jacob. And then they had a 48 unit under contract that they got by calling for rent ads on Craigslist saying, hey, do you want to sell? I mean, who does that, right? And, you know, I, I say this from stage as well. If you're willing to do what other people aren't, you'll be a success. Do you agree with me, Ellie? I'm 100%. One, okay. one million percent. That's so very right. true. And, and I really appreciate, you know, I think you added a lot of value to the listeners. You know, I'm sure there are ideas that I even, that I haven't thought of. So I'm sure that, that, you know, that kind of opened up, you. you know, some people's minds to new, you know, to new ways of doing things, because you're right. If you're going to do what everyone else is doing, you're going to end up in the same position like everyone else. If you find a new way to do it, go outside of the box, be willing to do things. And I've, I've seen you on stage as well. And you've said that also, then you were at one of my events. Yeah. I missed that. Forgive me. I did not know that, Ellie. Yeah, I, me. I, I always like to see what my oh, uh, colleagues are that. doing. And, and I have a friend that went there. It's always embarrassing when that happens because <laughs> I, I, I meet thousands of people oh, a year. Oh, yeah, and yeah. So forgive me. And, you're, and how could I miss, forget you? But, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's totally fine. But yeah, so I miss you there. And I miss you at the NMHC event in San Diego. We keep missing one another, but I'll find right, you. I'm going right, to right, look for right. the guy without the suit. Right, right? without the jacket. And the flip-flops, and the <laughs> flip-flops. Now, I didn't wear flip-flops at the, at the at NMHC conference. You'll be e easier to spot last, and you know, next time. And it's going right. to be Florida. In yeah, yes, that's right. Orlando. Orlando, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I might see you Super. there. All right, perfect. So last part of the interview. So thank you so much for you know, all the value that you've provided. And then we're going to ask you a few questions. That's the lighting round questions. So first right. one, what's your hobby? You know, this is going to sound trite. I get so much pleasure out of adding value to people. On the wall behind me, you can't see it. I've got hundreds of thank you cards from people that whose lives I've impacted. I get so much joy from that. I literally get an email. I typically get two or three a day. Emails, PMs, or, or handwritten cards or gifts. So I would say my life pretty much is what I'm doing right now. When I have a life and I'll buy a fishing boat again, I do love to fish and I've got the dock back there. You can see it in the green screen behind me. That's my backyard I, and I'm in the market for a boat. I haven't actually haven't had the time to go buy one, but I've, I've just hired a whole sea level team to help me with my business and just hired the last, last component of it. And so I'm gonna get my life back here shortly and I'll be able to fish and jet ski and do all that silly stuff again. But I love the water. So that, so in answer to your question, the water. Nice, well that's nice. So you definitely live in a good spot because Florida has a lot mm. of it. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, second question. Why do you wish you had known when you started out? I would have just done multifamily. My God, I mean, you know, I, I, again, I'd be on the back of my yacht right now. I've got, I've got a gentleman coming down that's even a little younger than me named Albert Barris coming down to our mastermind meeting here in Sarasota. And he's got 17,000 doors that he owns by himself. They're not even syndicated. Okay. Wow. And so, so, you know, I would have probably been there instead of, you know, suffering the, the, the seminar that I had in 2008 because I got lazy and I just stuck with houses. They were so easy. You know, I, I would have just done multifamily for sure. And of course, you probably hear the same answer. I would have gone bigger sooner, you know, and, and educated myself more as well. I've made every possible mistake you can possibly make because I really did. I just did it. I, I was a fire ready aim sort of guy. In fact, I, uh, one of my students gave me a t-shirt that says, ask me how I know because 
I, I will I will talk <laughs> about a horror story from stage and then I'll say, ask me how I know because it was me. Okay, and so yeah, I would I would have I've done more on the education front, which is why I enjoy so much doing what I'm doing and educating and hopefully preventing people from too large of seminars like I've done. <laughs> or I've had, All right. And so, Rod, what is your number one advice to a real estate investor who wants to scale their business? There's always another level. And I would tell you, get your mindset right first. Make sure you know exactly what it is you want and why you want it, because how are you going to get it if you don't know what it is? Clarity is power. I would I would tell you, you know, build your team, build your network. Your network is your net worth and take massive freaking action. You know, we're all, so many of us have fears, we have limiting beliefs or, or, we're, or worse, we're comfortable. And the comfort zone is a warm place, but nothing freaking grows there. So you've got to take action and the action is knowing what you want and more importantly, knowing why you want it. And so, you know, I don't know if you were there the first day at my event, we do a pretty extensive goal setting process to figure out exactly what a person wants because that's the fuel. You know, that's how I, that's how I recovered from losing $50 million to the success that I enjoy today. That's how I got the 50 million in the first place was knowing exactly what I want. If you looked around me on the walls here, you'd see the things that I want now, which, you know, they change, they evolve over time, but that clarity is absolute power. Absolutely. I totally agree. So Rod, if uh, listeners would want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Sure, sure, sure. Well, check out my podcast. If you put in real estate on iTunes, I usually come up number one or two with bigger pockets. Blessed. I just, just astounded, frankly. I started the podcast and I used to say in the first episodes, I'd say, I'll never sell you anything because I'm just want to add value. And it was the truth. And then I hit a million downloads and My friends are like, hey, stupid, you should do something with this. And so I wrote a book, <laughs> did the course. So I have, I have a whole online training program. People rave about it. But if you go to my website, rodcleef.com, there is tons of free content. I've got a, I've got a multifamily workbook due diligence checklist that's 66 pages long. I, I'm fairly certain it's the most comprehensive one out there and it's free. And I've got tons of videos, educational videos, motivational videos. And by the way, you know, I spend a lot of time on mindset and psychology on my show. I do a clip every week. It's five minutes on mindset and psychology because 80 to 90% of your success in anything is that. It's your mindset. It's to, it's to, it's to actually take action with what you learn. You know, like I, I say from stage at my events, 90% of the people that come to one of these things never do anything with it. Well, not on my watch. So, you know, I, I focus a lot on that. And then lastly, I have a Facebook group. There's almost 30,000 people and it's the largest multifamily group, I think, on the planet on Facebook. And, you know, you are the five people you hang around with. So get around people that are going to hold you to a higher standard, not the ones that are fearful that will hold you down because of their own fears. So join my group if you like. It's multifamilycommunity.com is a direct link to the group. Can't promote there, but it's a fantastic educational platform. And then lastly, If you, if you come see me live, I'll be in LA in January. It's Rod's Bootcamp. In fact, it's rodinlosangeles.com, but it's also rodsbootcamp.com. Just me for three days. I don't bring in outside speakers to sell you stuff like everybody else does. It's drinking through a fire hose. I mean, definitely bring your A game, but uh, you'll love it because I do a lot of mindset stuff there as well, as you know, Ellie. All right. Perfect. Well, Rod, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate it and all the value that you provided in those 45 minutes. So thank you so much. Oh, thank, that's very kind of you. It's a pleasure to see you. And if I can help in any way, do not hesitate to reach out, my friend. All right. Will do.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.